Welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. Good morning. I'm Father Morgan Reed, and I am the vicar here at Corpus Christi Anglican Church. Uh, this Welcome to our first Sunday uh, here at the new space. We're really grateful for it. We're really grateful to be here. I'm grateful um, for all the ways that you guys have participated over the last couple of weeks to make this possible. Um, we're in the season of Epiphany, and so... Um, the, I contacted the artist to get permission to have uh, this picture up there. I really love it. It's, uh, it reminds me of God's glory going to the nations and, um, and the light uh, of the new day that dawns, which I've mentioned before with regard to the, the new altar cross as well, with Jesus's light being a new day that dawns on humanity. Um, and so as we enter Epiphany, that's some of the things that we're, they're focusing on is Jesus's glory going to the nations. Let me pray for us as we begin. In the name of God, the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. Well, according to the New Testament, uh, in several places, especially in St. Paul, we hear that Jesus loves his bride, the church. And when people say that they can have a relationship with Jesus without any connection to the church, I do wonder how that's actually possible. How is it possible that we could love Jesus and, and know God's heart without actually loving the thing that Jesus loves? But then I read 1 Corinthians, and I hear this passage. And if I were to go to any of you this morning... And ask each person in the room to tell me ways that you've been hurt by the church. We'd be here a long time. Um, We could begin to understand why it is that some people want to have Jesus without the church. But we need our mother, the church. Even if she is dysfunctional sometimes. We need to love our dysfunctional mother. Um, (laughs) Don't take that. Well, yeah, take that out of context too. That's great. (laughs) So... Uh, so, so part of my own journey into Anglicanism, um, and specifically the kind of Anglicanism that we embody, was it involved discord within the church. I haven't talked about this story too often, um, but before we were Anglican, we, were, we grew up in a particular tradition, and we were at that kind of church in a place while I was in seminary, and um, I remember... One day, we were in worship on a Sunday morning, and one of the elders, the lay elders, he said to the whole congregation, you know, we've just fired the pastor who was here for the last 30 years. And so, of course, everyone's mind is going, oh, there must have been something immoral. No, the reason that he was fired is the, the elders had created a vision for the church, and this pastor wasn't on board with it. So they fired the pastor, and then they put the associate in charge. And in the subsequent weeks during each service, they kind of mentioned little snippets about what the former pastor was doing. Like all of a sudden, now the former pastor is planting a church in a school gym and taking some of the people from that church there. It was really getting ugly. Um, 
And one of the lay elders, and this was sort of the, the last straw for me, had, had the audacity during the communion liturgy, because the lay elders were leading communion then, during, during the Lord's Supper, he would mention the church divisions that are happening as part of the liturgy, um, which, by the way, is super inappropriate if you didn't you know, know that. Um, but because it was sort of an ad hoc liturgy, he would just kind of mention whatever was on his mind, and church divisions seemed to be on his mind. At that point, I was done. I was out of there. I could not take communion there in good conscience. I felt done with the idea of lay elders and lay presbyters. And now, um, having been Anglican for a long time, I realize that we're not perfect either. (laughs) There's actually no silver bullet uh, for the right kind of polity that gets you out of dysfunction. Man, I wish there was. Um, But that experience at that church was... Definitely the last straw for that kind of tradition. And I, I knew at that point I, I couldn't be a part of a church where um, they had lay people who were voted on as elders by the congregation uh, and that they didn't actually submit to a bishop. I couldn't do that anymore. There's a lot to that story, but I will say one of the things we never want to do is embitter or embarrass other people. And so that's one of my prayers that I wouldn't embitter or embarrass others. So I'm not going to go into the more of the details of that story most of you have your own pains with the church and, and that have resulted from people that are there and your pains are probably far worse than that one because that one didn't directly involve me. And if, and if you don't yet, <laughs> praise the Lord. That is awesome. And, and I really hope it doesn't happen anytime soon, but hey, you know what? It might come. It might come. There was a very important lesson that I learned uh, in that experience regarding the church. I realized that even if certain people in the church caused other people real pain, Jesus actually still loves them. And Jesus still died for them. And Jesus is still working in them and for them by his Holy Spirit, just as he's doing with me. That sounds nice, but I really hate that thought. (laughs) Right? Um, But he actually is. He loves them. And, And even when it's hard for me to do that. Um, it's hard to be hurt by the church and by somebody else and to hold that intention with the fact that Jesus loves them as much as he does you. And that doesn't mean that we're going to excuse sin, right? It doesn't mean that we sweep it under the rug, but it does give us a framework of grace to look honestly at the reasons for where disagreements crop up in the church and to release us from the resentments that we might be tempted to hold on to Uh, And they keep us from becoming fully alive in Christ. Bringing truth to light can be really messy. And can be a long and complicated process. It can involve other people. It can involve church leadership. It can even involve the legal system. Um, But bringing truth to light needs to happen. Like that always needs to be a priority. It's what Jesus cared about. And the kingdom of God isn't built on and it's not extended through people whose God is power that can hold a lot of secrets. That's not how the kingdom of God is extended. And yet at the same time, when we read a passage like this, we also need to affirm that whenever division happens, it's ugly. um, And it can potentially do damage to the reputation of the goodness of the gospel. You guys can't get along. Why is Jesus good? Right? But here's the thing that we learned from this passage also, is that quarrels, arguments, disagreements, seeing things differently, Quarrels are an opportunity to bring things out into the open for Jesus to actually deal with. When you see quarrels, don't run from them. Let them come to the light. 
In our passage this morning, we encounter a church that wasn't completely honest about the fact that it had divisions that arose within their members. St. Paul has to shine a light on the ways that they're nullifying the power of the cross by their own selfish pursuit of power uh, in the context of the church. And you might be thinking, yeah, that was them. Like, at least that's not us, right? But as a young church, a young, small, growing church, we are also susceptible to quarrels. We're susceptible to bruised egos, to power plays, and other things that might make for division in the church. And we don't even have a vestry yet. (laughs) So to push against that, and I think what this passage encourages us to do, to push against that, we have to keep the power of the cross central to our life and our ministry together. We have to keep the power of the cross central to our life and ministry together. St. Paul just heard a report from Chloe's people in this passage. There was likely a letter that he had written to the church. They had likely written a letter back to him. And in that letter, they likely gave the impression that everything was a-okay. Hey, thanks for checking in on us. We're doing just fine here over at Corinth. Um, And that's why he frames it this way. He has to say, hey, you know what? Chloe and her friends came back to me, and I heard a report about all the divisions that are happening in your church. And he had to hear it secondhand. And that means one of two things. It either means that that church was lying to him the first time, that they weren't actually telling him that there were divisions, or it means that they weren't self-aware. They didn't even know this was happening, or perhaps some combination of both. Now, I would imagine if there were some dire situation where the church was actually splitting and people were choosing sides, he would have known about it because people would have actually wanted him on their side. They would have been writing to him going, hey, you know what, that guy over there is a schismatic, and, uh, you know, so I I want you to join me here and, uh, you know, build up my side. But that's not happening. If anything, people would be trying, you know, to get him to approve their faction. So I imagine what's going on here, what's probably happening, is that there is a lack of um, self-awareness about the ways that unity is deteriorating in the church. They have a lack of self-awareness. And there is no Christian tradition that's immune to this, um, to the impulse. Being Anglican, thinking about Anglicanism, we're primarily creedal. um, We're not primarily confessional. And and so we're particularly susceptible to this. We love the creeds, but that creates a big tent. Um, and, And sometimes when we have a big tent, there's a lot of people in it that we wouldn't ordinarily get along with. Um, And I came to Anglicanism through, if you've gone through our confirmation class, uh, I I came to Anglicanism through Oxford Movement theologians, which was a a recapturing of a Catholic revival in England back in the 1800s. I read those people because I was reading poetry from Syriac fathers, and I thought, this is what I need. I need theology and poetry. I need people who love the Catholic tradition. So then I found out that Puritans were part of the English church too, kind of. And I, and I, so, so I had a bad taste in my mouth for Puritans. Um, again, you know, like things like, you know, not even wearing wedding bands. They definitely wouldn't like icons, you know. And so, but it doesn't matter whether you're Anglican or Lutheran or Methodist or Roman Catholic. Um, 
Yeah, short story about that. I was in, uh, I used to teach at a Maronite seminary, which are Eastern Rite Catholics, and I always used to make fun of Romans for loving the filioque and, and celibacy. Um, so, like, even in the Catholic Church, like, it's there. Orthodox doesn't matter. People choose sides. It's what they do. They make divisions. And Satan is a crafty foe. And, and he sows discord into the body of Christ that distract us from the power of the cross. So, now that you're wondering if I hate Puritans, <laughs> I don't. I actually love them. So, don't worry. Don't go home and burn your copies of Richard Baxter or Jonathan Edwards. Please don't do that. What helped me get over my theological triggers when I thought of them was asking specifically, very specifically, what I didn't like about what they were saying. If you can be clear on that, that's a good first step. And then, if I disagreed with them, then can I at least appreciate what they're trying to do? Right? That's another way to honor another person in Christ. Can I agree with the Puritans on the problem and maybe propose a better solution? And, you know, um, so I want to try something here. I'm going to say a bunch of words, and I want to see which ones well up anxiety in your spirit. All right. That's why I'm glad we're meeting at 11 and not 9. This would have been too early for some of you to think about this. Catholics. Presbyterians. The Virgin Mary. Complementarians. Speaking in tongues. Egalitarians. Venerating icons. Praying with saints. Bible tracts. Evangelicals. Liberals conservatives, feminists, inerrancy, Baptists, Pentecostals. Okay, now that you're all equally triggered, <laughs> let's take a deep breath together. <clears throat> Everyone repeat the Jesus prayer after me. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. Son of God, have mercy on me. A sinner. Okay, so we are all in need of God's grace this morning. And it is good to notice what the divisions might be in the church. Even if it's not to the level of reaching a label, there are tendencies we all lean towards. And so we should note where our triggers are. You know, if you think of those words, where did you feel a little, you know, tightening of the abdomen and sweat started beating down your face? What were the things that sort of did that for you? We should note those things because we need to go deeper beyond the label that I just read. What does that label represent for us? Where might there be hurt? How do we even begin to dialogue with those people that we strongly disagree with? So first, let's assume the best. Assume the best about another person. Let's start with um, deep places of agreement and assume the best of the other person. Then I can rightly say, hey, you know what? We disagree on how to get there, but ultimately we want the same thing. That's important. That kind of disposition breeds the compassion and the love that's necessary to affect real unity uh, in the body of Christ without requiring complete conformity to one another. Having all things submitted to King Jesus uh, is the key. I remember St. Ephraim, one of the church fathers, wrote in Syriac in the 4th century, and he's got this whole hymn um, about this particular passage in 1 Corinthians, and he argues that every coin in his day was stamped with the king's image. 
no general who is well-known in society is going to go in secret and put his own image on a coin. Because if it comes back that he was the one responsible for that, it would be insurrection. He'd be killed. He'd probably be either killed or exiled. And in the church, you and I are stamped with the image of King Jesus. There is nobody else's face that should be stamped on us other than Jesus. So you've heard me say this in formation groups before, but that's actually one of the reasons that I have us vest so much in these clothes because I want to push against a cult of personality with any of the pastors or any of the people who are up front. All of us can wear acolyte robes and carry a cross. All of us you know, can, can bring the elements up. There's not a, I'm pushing against this cult of personality. And I, and I don't want to focus on how great my fashion sense is, you know, because it is. <laughs> and, and I don't, you know, wear specific things because I'm the vicar and Father Ryan's the curate, so he wears certain things. We're both priests. Uh, the celebrant, whether it's me or him, we wear this thing, this, uh, this chasuble. Assisting priests always wear choir vestiture, which is what Father Ryan's wearing today and I wear some days. Because, you know what, we're just priests. We're just priests in God's service, and we're priests in service to you. That's what we're called to be. Um, we're individual people, that's true, and we have our own gifts, but we are called to point you to Jesus. We have the image of Jesus stamped on us, you have the image of Jesus stamped on you, and I want to eliminate distractions from doing that, even visually. So if you come and you see me for confession, um, one of the things I like to do is I usually put a candle on the altar the other thing that I always do is I have an icon of Christ, even if it's um, just a gospel book, because you don't need my forgiveness. You need Jesus's forgiveness. And I am just there as a representative of the church to point you to Jesus, who's at work in you um, and wants to heal you and forgive you. And so let's always have the cross of Christ before our eyes. I love structures. I love institutions and I love programs and that's okay. But those things all have an innate sense of inertia in themselves. It takes way more effort to stop a ship that's really large than one that's really small. Um, churches can be small and they can be healthy or unhealthy. Churches can be large and they can be healthy or unhealthy. And so there's this really beautiful, unique opportunity that we have as a smaller church. Um, when we get together, we get to work through our imperfections together. We do that in corporate worship. We do it in formation groups. You guys do it over dinner together. But we're one big family, right? And so we're working on our imperfections together. You guys know each other by name. And if you're visiting this morning, um, you'll get to know other people's names today too. It's small enough that we can get to know everybody. And, and many of you know at least one thing about somebody else in this room. Um, and maybe about every person in this room if you've been here for a while. Now, can dysfunction still creep in? You bet. Absolutely. Satan is a formidable foe. And he would love nothing more than to sow discord into a young church and into a small church. And that's why we have to keep the power of the cross central to what we do. We have to keep it before us and let our worship um, corporately form us. We have to be in one another's lives as well. We have to be submitted together to Christ's lordship before anything else. Course correction is easier when we're small. 
And so we're going to have little course corrections along the way. It's just like you know, being a parent. You have these little course corrections so when your child gets older, they don't have really bad habits that are much harder to turn. And the same is true for a church. As we grow and we become a larger church, a mid-sized church, um, this ensures that we have the culture and the DNA to have a healthy mid-sized church. And I want to share an observation about conflict then from this text. When we look at 1 Corinthians 1, this is something that you can also think about as you read through it you know, today or this week. Conflict is really illuminating. Conflict is good. Don't think that because you have conflict, you are in sin. Right? Start with just acknowledging that there is conflict. Don't run from it. Press into it. Even if it feels painful and awkward and uncomfortable. The Corinthians did not do conflict well. There are a lot of churches who do not do conflict well. And from the outside, what that turned into is this church looked really divided. And the goodness of the gospel as a result became really fuzzy. And the power of the cross became overshadowed by a love for human wisdom in certain individual teachers. They, they wanted people's image stamped on them. And instead, what we should do is press into quarrels as an indication that the Spirit wants to speak something to you. And then assume the best in the person that you're having a conflict with. Or you can't understand what, what they're doing or why they would ever think that way. Press into that. Have a conversation where you are seeking to understand more than to be understood. And then appreciate their motivations. Maybe find commonality in why they're doing what they're doing, even if you can't appreciate the way that they're trying to get there. <coughs> Excuse me. Share those points of unity with the other person um, and even where you're struggling to appreciate their methods. And perhaps you could find a better way to get there. And then, even if you can't reconcile, love them well. Um, there are certainly times where they're, the most loving thing to do is to physically part ways. Um, that is true, and that is not in this sermon or text. Um, we, that's another sermon. Maybe if we preach on Paul and Barnabas, we could talk about sometimes God might be calling you to part ways. Uh, if we listen well for the sake of love to those with whom we have disagreements in the church, then what we're doing is we're seeing the image of Christ in the other person. It honors the image of Christ in them, even when we have a really hard time seeing it. And that's how we submit to Jesus as Lord. So let's be honest about the places of quarreling, because I think those are the places that can really reveal where we've replaced the power of the cross with hope in our own wisdom. Let me pray for us. O oh God, you manifest in your servants the signs of your presence. Send forth upon us the spirit of love, that in companionship with one another, your abounding grace may increase among us. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord.